Welcome to the Arena Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy the message. Yeah, good morning everybody. It's good to, uh, good to be with you. And uh, we trust that God will bless his word uh, this morning. It's great to worship God, give God thanks and praise. And God, God has already done things in people's lives uh, as Nathan encouraged us to see that God is great. I, I was thinking of just uh, things, I'm sure you were in your own situation, that God is over, that God uh, is more than able to minister to. And we thank him for that. And uh, it's just good to be together. Uh, the series, as Christian opened up last week, I was in Ilkeston uh, doing a similar introductory message, uh, is who are you really? And uh, it's a little take over four or five weeks on what we call in the Bible the fruit of the Spirit. And uh, I'm going to read those verses again as Robert puts them up for us from Galatians. It's a book in the New Testament, chapter 5, verses 22 to 23. It starts with the word but, B-U-T. Uh, we could have the word however there. Because in the previous verses, which we won't read this morning, there's a rather ugly list. It's called the works of the flesh. And uh, the works of the flesh we see outworking in people's lives every day. Um, but we've got a but. But we don't have to live like that. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, Forbearance, I like the word patience there. Uh, and it interchanges on depending on what translation you've got. But love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such there is no law. And the encouragement over these uh, next few weeks is simply that more and more, every one of us will be showing fruit in our lives you say, well, I may not, I've not yet become a Christian. I have to say to you that one of the things that people say to me when they're thinking about becoming a Christian is, it's no good me becoming a Christian because I couldn't keep it up. And you are absolutely right. You cannot keep up the Christian faith in your own efforts, your own self. It, it can't be kept up simply by coming to church or trying hard. What happens is there'll be an invitation at the end of this message. The invitation is that we invite Jesus Christ to come and live in our life in the power of his spirit. And then you're not trying to keep it up. You're allowing him to work through you in his power. Then you will keep it up. And one of the things that happens inevitably when that takes place is that you will produce fruit. You are made for fruit. You are destined for fruit. It is part of God's purpose. The works of the flesh are not your destiny. The fruit of the Spirit is. And the Bible says uh, in the words of Jesus in John 15, 8, that this is to my Father's glory, that you being my disciples would bear much fruit. So we don't only want a decision, we want a disciple. A disciple's a lifelong journey of following Jesus. I don't stop to be a, being a disciple because I'm the speaker. I am the speaker because I'm a disciple. Yeah, and it keeps working. So it's an ongoing journey for us. And uh, we thank God for all of that. 
And the Bible reminds us that the Spirit of Christ, not another spirit, but in it, the Holy Spirit in His expression of the work of the Spirit of Christ is working in us. And the more we let Jesus have His way in our lives, the more fruit will be produced. It may be that in your garden this year, you had a fruit tree or a fruit bush. The expectation was that if it was an apple tree, what did it produce? Apples. In other words, it produces after its kind. We had an apple tree. It it sounds like we've got a big garden. We haven't. But the reality was... The reality was that it stopped being fruitful. And uh, we got uh, uh, an apprentice arborist to come and uh, have a look at it. He says, yeah, I'll sort that out for you. He charged me for it as well and he made it worse. And uh, the fact of the matter was it was an apple tree not producing apples. We also had a big tree that was growing. And so eventually we got an arborist that knew what he was doing that demolished both of the trees because there were no fruitfulness in them. And it was, they became pointless. And the reality is that your life is not meant to be aimless and pointless. It's meant to be fruitful. It's meant to impact the people where you work, even without you saying the words. It's meant to touch people's lives. You heard Nathan earlier uh, in the pre-service where we carry God's presence. We make a difference. And this is the passion of who are you Really? And there's a list of nine things there that they, interestingly, nine fruit that uh, work alongside the nine gifted the Spirit in 1 Corinthians 12. I've had lots of arguments with people. I've got pastors saying, all we want is fruit. All we want is character. All we want both. We want character and charisma. We want fruit and spirit. That brings a balance to our lives. Uh, But we're concentrating on who are you, who am I Really, when we begin to commit our life to following Jesus. And over these next few weeks, there's going to be people ministering from this platform that will take uh, in, in uh, this list, working through and seeking to apply it. And over the next few minutes, I'm going to try and apply myself to two words. And honestly, we could spend all day talking about just one of them because the subject matter is so vast. But I want to give you a few bullet points that you can just hang on to this morning. And uh, for you you and for me to continually commit in this journey to being more fruitful than we've ever been. If you're somebody that has stopped producing fruit for whatever, God wants to come to you again. In fact, I felt very strongly in the worship time that God was saying to people in this service that you need to stop dwelling in the past You even need to stop doing church how you think it ought to be done. And you need to step into the next of God for your life. There's something fresh. There's something new. There's something different. And you need to step into it. Not determined by how you think it ought to happen, but what God wants to do now. Who are you really? But the fruit of the Spirit is love. We've had thousands of songs, poems, pieces of prose written about this word, and yet so often it seems elusive. Unsurprisingly, it's first on the list. In the book of Colossians in the New Testament, we have a number of exp- 
expressions of Christian life given. But it says this, over all these virtues put on love and love binds them all together in perfect unity. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, uh, sorry, chapter 13, which is sandwiched between chapters 12 and 14, pretty obvious, but the whole context is spiritual gifts. And what the writer is saying, I know we often read this chapter at weddings, etc., but the writer is saying you can have all the gifts in the world, but if you've got love, you're absolutely nothing. And at the beginning of Corinthians 13, he says, even though I speak in tongues, prophesy, have knowledge, express faith, I'm generous, and even give my life in martyrdom for the faith. If I have not love, I'm nothing. Now, please hear me. That doesn't mean that tongues and prophecy and faith and generosity aren't important. The Bible is not saying that they no longer exist. But it is saying that if we express those things, but it is not underscored by the fruit of love in our lives, it means absolutely Nothing. Some of you will be aware that the New Testament was written in the Greek language. And it was, it was, it was earthy Greek. And uh, the, like many languages, they're nuanced. Um, so we, we sort of, because we're not linguistically uh, a, 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 a nation that thinks about learning other languages a lot, because English does sort of, work around the earth, we sometimes miss what other people are journeying on. I never cease to be amazed in arena church and other contexts, I find that people communicate so well with me and all the time they're operating in their second language. Uh, but they're just incredible. And so in the original language of the New Testament, the word love was nuanced. In other words, it had a number of meanings. And I want to just mention to them again briefly, the first word in the original language, it was eros. It describes the intimate physical love between a man and a woman. By the way, we still believe in this church that that's found in a marriage relationship. And if you try and be unfruitful and press that boundary, you won't love somebody, you'll hurt them. Number two, the word filio, it's friendship love. The city of friendship, Philadelphia, USA. That's where it got its origination from. Friendship love, a filial love. It's a deep word, can have deep friendships, mutual respect for one another. Maybe you're just thinking of people now in your world that are deep friends, filial love. There's storge love, it's a love that we express in our immediate family context. We understand that this is a family and we really do believe that because the Bible describes the church as family. But within the family, there are numbers of family contexts today expressed here. Uh, uh, sons and daughters, grandparents, uh, grandchildren, etc. Storge love. And then the word that I'm sure that if you've been a Christian for some time, you will have heard on numbers of occasions from different communicators. And it is the word that's often most used in the New Testament to describe love. And it's the word agape. Agape. This word <clears throat> reflects God's love to us and our response to Him. It speaks of a love that doesn't primarily rest in the emotion that can come and go, 
but he's birthed deep in our will and spirit. If you like, the very essence of this love is the love that took Jesus to die for us on a cross. And in all that we do in the church, we must never forget that it all starts with a cross. It all starts with God's soul loving the world that he sent Jesus to die for us. God so loved Agape, the world, that he gave his only son. The early church leader, Augustine, said this. He said of love, Agape love, it has hands to help others. It has feet to hurry to the poor and needy. It has eyes to see the misery and want. It has ears to hear the sighs and the sorrows of mankind. This is what true love looks like. And here's the truth. We often say it in Arena Church, but I'm going to say it again this morning. Christianity is not about religion. You'll never get to God by religion. It's about relationship. And more than that, it's about a love relationship. How many of you maybe have gone through times in your life where you've fallen out of love with God? Guess what? Your Christian life becomes hard. Oh, I don't know where we want to go this morning. I want to go out on that, that Tuesday. But when you're in love with Jesus, friends, it makes everything different. Let me give you a few things that happen when we are passionately agape love with God and God with us. Number one, it causes us to do God's will. 1 John chapter 5 and verse 3 says, and this is the will of God. Sorry, and this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. Listen, and it goes on to say, and his commandments are not burdensome. You see, the commands of Jesus Don't come to restrict you. The commands of Jesus come to liberate you. You shall know the truth and the truth will set you free. God has not come to limit our lives, but he has come to expand our lives. And if every time God speaks to you when you come to church, if every time the word of God speaks to you in your devotionals, you're railing against it. What's God asking? There's something wrong with your love life. Because the Bible says that the love of God is that I find out what his commands are. I'm desperate to put them into action so that I can please the Lord. And they're not a burden to me. They're not weighing me down. They are liberating me into what God wants me to do. The love of God also will cause us to do the Lord's work. In 1 Thessalonians 1 and verse 3, it talks about a labor of love. A labor of love. Now, when I was at Bible school more years ago than I care to remember, I got to the end of the first year and I'd run out of money uh, because uh, I applied to, I lived in Nottingham, Notts County Council to give me a grant and they said, no, we're not giving you one. I went anyway. And uh, so end of year one, I'm getting married the following year. You know, I've got no money. So Sharon used to work for Henry Boot Construction. Some of you may have seen the blue and yellow signs they're still about. And she, worked in, she didn't work on a building site. She worked in the... Although it was like a building site, that reception. But, but um, she kept it all moving. And anyway, she spoke to Graham, the site manager, and I got a job. My job was to be a labourer. Woo. I'd been pushing a pen for nine months. I'd been having a year. And all of a sudden, I'm on a building site, you know, with a gang of guys. 
you know, throwing girders around and moving bricks. And uh, it, it's so old, it was pre-health and safety, so I had no hard hat and no gloves. And at the end of the first week, I had 18 blisters on my hands. I counted them as I poured my hands over, my shaking hands over the sink. But at the end of it, I was ready to take anybody on. I had coat hanger shoulders. I, you know, it was hard work. Labour, labour. But they paid decent money, and it got me going again into the second year of being at Bible school. And... Uh, what I'm saying is that sometimes in the work of the ministry, there's a labour. We've got somebody out there looking after your cars this morning. It was quite cold when we come in. And it's going to get colder and colder. All the people on car park say, amen. It's going to get colder, guys. It's going to get wetter. It's going to get freezing. And we're still going to come in. It's a labour. We've got people this morning that have prepared this week for your boys and girls. Part of the passion of this church is a kids' ministry. It's a labour. It's where I started in ministry. Sunday school. I ended up running two Sunday schools. Labouring. Labour. Getting the word. Because I tell you, the word gets in you as you get it out to others. And so we could go on. When we first moved into this building, it wasn't as nice as it was now. In fact, it stank. It was horrible. It, was, it had not been touched for years. It was a snooker club. I think, there were a few, I think that was a euphemism for a few other things that were taking place. But anyway, we won't go there. But the fact is, people came and laboured, laboured, and painted walls and knocked walls down and built walls up so that we've got this beautiful worship centre right in the heart of this town. What motivated it? That Christians asked us to go out again tonight. I've had a hard day at work. I don't fancy. It was a labour of love. It's not a problem. It's a labour of love. Still hard work. Still inconvenienced. Still stretching, but the motivation is love and it works. Number three, when we love God, we will be the Lord's witness. John said in John's Gospel 13 that this is my command that you love one another. Listen, and by this shall all men know that you are my disciples when you have love one for another. Love does not mean that we're all the same. Can you imagine everybody being like me in the church? And thank God not everybody's like you. We're different. We're di- with different personalities. Listen to different radio programs when we're in the car. Some of you have got it blasting out. If you're like me, you like to listen to the current affairs. You like to listen. To, well, you say, well, that's boring. It's boring for you. It's not boring for me. We're different. And sometimes we see things differently. And sometimes it can creak and groan a little bit in the church. And we have to put it back together and make repair. But when people see us loving one another, they say, you know what about that group of people at Arena Mansfield? They're not perfect. But boy, they love one another. And by this, we show that we're his disciples. And when we love God, we not only do his will and his work and his witness, but we grow in his ways. Philippians 1 verse 9 says that your love may abound more and more. So if you think that you've reached the top of expressing the love of God in your life, I have a word for you this morning. There's more. I'm not going to do it with an Irish accent, but you get it. There's more. There's more. There's more for you to abound in. So, well, I'm, I'm a pensioner now. I'm 70-odd. There's more. 
God's not finished with you. God wants more love in your life. God wants you to touch people. In fact, you can touch a younger generation more than you realise. All your wisdom, all that you've learnt over the years, sow it into your grandkids. Sow it into their friends when they come to your, their, your house. I know they only come for the biscuits, but sow something into their lives. You've got something to pass on. It's the love of God. Fruit of love. It's incredible. When we really live like that, we inevitably make a difference. It was said of the early church, see how they love one another. And briefly, as we come to the closing part of the message this morning, I'm just going to try and touch for a moment on that thought, that fruit of joy. Joy, joy. The problem with joy is that it's often misunderstood. People think that joy means, hey, I've got to walk around like this all the time. How are you doing? Great, 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 great. The more you protest that you're doing great, the more people realise that actually it's not quite true. That is not joy. By the way, this isn't joy either. And some of you are more naturally joyful than others. It's part of what you are. Some people are more extrovert and expressive than others. Some of you are in, in, in. By the way, don't make your introspection an excuse for not praising God. But the thing is that joy is often misunderstood because here's the truth. True Christian joy often contradicts the experiences that you are going through. In other words, it doesn't mean that you will never have a problem. It doesn't mean that you will never have a hurdle to overcome. It doesn't mean that your kids will walk around two foot off the ground like angels 24-7 and never give you any back chat. It doesn't mean any of that. But it means in all the challenges of life, you can know the fruits of joy. Somebody described joy as the fullness of of calm delight. Somebody described it as the triumphant overflow of Christian gladness. Remember, Paul said to the Philippian church, rejoice in the Lord always. And like good preachers, he repeated himself. And again, I say it, rejoice, rejoice, joy. Now, briefly, what are some of the hindrances to joy? Well, number one, Hindrances to joy is because of situations and circumstances. In other words, we get disappointed. We express failure. We uh, sometimes have to navigate brokenness and sickness. We can sometimes experience setbacks. I always remember a guy when I was living in Oxford in the early 80s. He was brilliant. He went to Magdalen College. He passed all his exams with A stars. He was just brilliant. And then one day he came to the youth night. I always remember and he was really gloomy. I says, Chris, what's the problem? He says, uh, I failed my driving test. I says, well, all the best drivers pass second time. You know, so uh, you've got it. <laughs> so he says, no, he says, I've never failed an exam in my life. It was completely wrecked. I felt that God was just teaching him a lesson, you know. He lost his joy. Never failed an exam in his life. If you failed an exam, go and resit it. 
My Alison was 31 yesterday. And when I say that, I feel incredibly old. I mean, 4.44 on a Thursday morning in John Radcliffe Hospital, Oxford, 31 years ago. The nurse that delivered her was a Christian midwife, also called Alison. And uh, here we are all those years later. And Alison at 14 says, Dad, I want to be a primary school teacher and I want to work in the inner city. And she's on the senior leadership team of a school. I won't tell you where, but let's just say that in that part of Nottingham, it's a, it's a bit challenging. And uh, it's not just the kids, it's the women fighting outside over a fella. But anyway, um, <laughs> did we have tears along the way? Yeah, because she failed her maths first time. And... Uh, it seemed a bit of a struggle for her. It seemed as though it might even be a barrier that would stop her until she found a night class in Nottingham where the teacher just made the subject come alive. She said, Dad, I've got it. 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 But every, every Monday night, <laughs> because she had a resilience within her to overcome the barrier. And I have to say, and some of you know her, Alison, she kept joying it all as well. And so we're so proud of her. She's become a mum this last year. She's back teaching four days a week. And, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's uh, an interesting journey. But you may have failed something. You may have thought, that's it. Pfft, my destiny's gone. I'll never be what I, I, God, I felt God wanted me to be. Come on, keep joy. Go again and God will do it in Jesus' name. But sometimes we have to overcome setbacks. We have entrances to joy because we are Christians. So nobody stopped me coming to church this morning. Well, thank God for that. Because there are many nations around the world where you would be followed to church because you're a Christian. That you would be on a list of the secret police because you are a Christian. Where your kids' education would be impeded because you are a Christian. Simply because you're a Christian. And yet, I want to tell you, I've been in some of those persecuted contexts. The joy in the meetings is incredible. Because the joy is not in the circumstance. The joy is in the Lord. Sometimes we can lose our joy because of our waywardness. King David served God's purpose in his generation. He was a man after God's own heart. But he messed up on a relationship. And when he asked God to forgive him, what did he pray? Restore to me the joy of my salvation if you've lost your joy this morning and it's your fault because you've done something that is opposite to what God's told you to do say sorry repent ask for forgiveness turn around and let the joy of your salvation be restored this morning we can lose our joy because of what others have said and done don't live in rejection don't live in offense don't live in unforgiveness I tell you, I've gone through a season in my life when I'm tested on all of those things. All of them. And every time I mention forgiveness, every time I'm getting my heart ready, I get the file out of my mind. I've got a pretty good memory. I wish I didn't at times. I get a file out of my mind. It's called forgiveness. I think of people that have said things to me, said things to Sharon, said things to my kids. I'm talking about Christians. That have been wholly inappropriate. I say again this morning, forgiven, 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 because they are not going to rob me of my joy. And nor should you allow people to rob people of your joy. Unforgiveness is like you drinking poison and expecting somebody else to die. 
The only person he's killing is you. Let it go. Let it go. Let that offense go. Let that rejection go. Let that person that's spoken down to you and said you'll never be anything go. Let that distant memory of things that took place, let it go. And the Bible says, consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you face many trials. And sometimes we need to understand that God is at work when we don't realize. Let me just give you one illustration as we come to a close. It was Joseph. And we can read the Bible with a romantic sort of viewpoint. Oh, yeah, he got put in prison for a few years, didn't he? Well, I mean, God knew it. Don't read the Bible backwards. Read the Bible forwards. And put yourself in Joseph's position. When he was put in prison in these times in which we live for a offence that he had not committed. He was, he was innocent. And then he interpreted a dream and expected to be released and ended up in prison even more. But when the story came full circle and he revealed himself afresh to his brothers, he said these words, Genesis 50, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done. I prophesied this morning that there are people in this church and people have sought to do things to you to harm you. But I'm telling you, God's going to turn it on its head. It's all going to come full circle. You're going to be vindicated and you'll realise that everything that you went through was for good, for the glory of God and for the praise of his name. If you'll go out with that faith in your heart this morning, nothing will rob you of your joy because God is around you and over you and for you. Now, there used to be a phrase in evangelical circles about deep joy. Can they remember it? You know, and some, it's all right for you, but we've got deep joy. I mean, it was so deep, you couldn't find it. It was fathoms deep. People that were forever talking about joy that were incredibly miserable. And this morning, friends, I tell you, a needy world that needs Jesus, that's operating in the works of the flesh because that's where they think they'll find freedom, needs to come into a church environment that's not full of misery and gloom. That doesn't give the impression that we'd rather be anywhere else but in church. And so as the worship team leaders, week after week after week, it's not just something we do at the start of the meeting. It's an expression of what God is doing in our lives. And all the prevailing churches around the earth, whatever their style of worship always, without exception, exemplify joy. Two or three years ago, we had the blessing of being in Times Square Church in New York, started by Teen Challenge founder David Wilkerson, now in heaven. Was it arena style? No. We went from Ilsong to country and western to black gospel. We had the whole genre. Whoa. I tell you what, it was full of joy. It was full of joy. I don't go out to meetings overanalyzing what the style was. I want to know if God was there. And the people of God loved him and followed him. And I tell you, friends, if we'll create this as an oasis of joy in Mansfields, where there's so much gloom and despondency around us, we'll find people can't wait to come. 
people that will be just running to where God's well of joy is for his name's sake. And how do we express joy? Well, the Bible says that we're to sing for joy. The Bible says we're to shout for joy. Not all the time, but just occasionally. The Bible says that we're to leap for joy. In fact, in Matthew 5, when it says that uh, blessed are those that are persecuted, he says rejoice and leap for joy. It literally means to spin and twirl around. Woo! He don't mean this. And the prophet Isaiah says, you shall go out with joy. Time's gone. Who are you? Really? This morning, out of a relationship with Jesus Christ, who's passionate about every one of us coming to the greatest fruitfulness of our lives. This morning, I'm praying again that you will show the fruit of love. You'll show the fruit of love. A love for God, a love for each other, and a love for this world. And I'm praying this morning, friends, that if you came into the meeting with something that was weighing heavy upon you, you shall go out with joy. Let's pray.